Beware of false prophets in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear friends, you know, our Lord in today's Gospel uh, warns us and, and gives us the insight on, firstly, the necessity to judge, uh, to discern, and to judge and discern rightly. And he, he gives us the, uh, the standard by which we can judge rightly, and that is uh, to know things by their fruits, uh, uh, by their effect. Uh, we might not always uh, at first grasp the cause, uh, the heart of the thing, but we can judge it by its effects, what it produces. Uh, and, and this is more and more important today in a time where people are really not able, it seems today, for some reason, uh, to judge rightly. And they often judge badly. And, you know, I was explaining to a very old lady recently that... Uh, one of the most important things in our life, the key, I would say, fundamental reality for all of us in our life is that we judge things rightly, that we understand the value of things correctly. Because if we get that wrong, our, it's going to have eternal consequences. So our Lord, our Lord, uh, for warning us of this, gives us this very important principle where, what is the spirit by which something proceeds from? And St. Ignatius says that, that if something proceeds from the spirit of the devil, it often uh, produces the effect of malice or envy in people. Uh, if it proceeds from often just the natural spirit, the flesh, uh, it often produces selfishness, laziness, uh, things that are related to the flesh. Uh, if it proceeds from God, it, it produces a spirit of peace, of joy, a spirit of uh, self-sacrifice, of self-abasement. Uh, where does the spirit of something uh, proceed from? There's two, two fundamental realities in all of us. The external reality and the internal reality. Our thoughts, our, our hearts, our emotions. That... Um, the thoughts of people, their um, motives, that we cannot judge. That's what our Lord means when he says, uh, do not judge unless you yourself be judged. I know that the modern world has, has read that part of the Bible and that's it for them, uh, as though that's all our Lord said. No, there is the external realities uh, of man, our, our actions, our uh, uh, things we do. Uh, the, we can be more clear, the, the way we dress, the food we eat, whatever, the external realities that we can see, hear, taste, smell, touch, all those things, those we must judge, those we must discern about. Uh, if somebody comes and is attacking you with a knife, you don't say, oh, well, maybe he means well. You don't say that. What do you do? You start to either run away in self-preservation or you fight back. Why? Because you can see that the action is bad. Even if his intentions might be just out of pure revenge, maybe he did something bad to him, maybe he thinks you deserve to die, whatever. But you're not, we don't judge their motives. Their motive is not for us to judge. What we is to judge is the external action that we see, the fruits of what is being produced. That we must judge, that we must discern. That is our duty uh, for us. That's why our Lord says, not that which goes into the mouth of a man, defiles a man, but that which comes out of his mouth. Because what comes out of his mouth is a sign of what's in his heart. 
And the problem for us is we too easily judge things perhaps on a, on a superficial level. And the superficial level also, to be fair, has some value in the sense, you know, and, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, that when we see someone, sometimes we think, well, okay, what are they wearing? Uh, what do they look like? Uh, what's their financial situation? Are they wealthy, poor? Are they not so well off? Um, we judge them by these things. That's a normal thing. Um, and it's not necessarily, I'm saying, condemning it, but it's a very superficial way. Um, even, to be fair, even Philip, when he tells Nathaniel, uh, I've found the Messiah, the one who the, 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 the prophets speak about. Come, uh, he's uh, the son of Joseph, the, the carpenter in Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response is, well, can anything good come from Nazareth? Uh, he, he judges our Lord from where is he from. And, and Philip's response was, well, come see for yourself. Come judge the actions by yourself. Come see the fruits for yourself. Uh, that's why St. Paul will say, uh, don't despise prophecy. Put everything to the test, but prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. From all appearance, however, of evil, refrain yourselves. Put everything to the test. Judge it. Use your common sense. No one is going to be excused by God for not having used their own common sense, their own prudence, by which they are to judge things rightly or wrongly. No, we will not be excused. Uh, simply saying, Father said, or the church said uh, so, the modern authority said so, or the, the government said so, is not an excuse. You actually have to use your brain. Based on the principles of our Lord and the constant teaching of the church, and a good prayer life, and, and all these things which I'm going to touch on, but at the end of the day, each one must discern. We must judge rightly. Otherwise, we will be deceived. St. Paul, <clears throat> Paul, in his epistle today to the Romans, is explaining how they, to these Roman converts how once upon a time they judged the works of the flesh to be good. But now that they've embraced the faith, they could see that these works, he says, the wage of sin is death. They are actually death. And today we are surrounded by a culture of death because they've embraced the, this life of sin. Sin leads to spiritual moral uh, decadence. And that's what we are seeing today. St. Paul confronting that reminded them in the past they embraced that. Now they see the fruits of the Spirit. And this is, thanks be to God, the grace which leads to life now and life everlasting. They, have, they, they were taught by the grace of God to now see correctly the things of this world. Uh, how do we judge the things of this world? You know, two people can look at the same thing and have totally, completely different views on it. Yet, they both have eyes, they have earring, they have uh, all the senses, and yet they have totally different views on the same thing. Why is that? Well, the perspective they take on it, uh, the optic they look at things by, is going to determine whether they see it as good or bad. And, you know, this is where we are at odds, not only with the world today, but also uh, the, the wicked-minded uh, and blind-minded hierarchy in the church today, who embrace so many false ideas. But, you know, this, this uh, unhinging of the hearts and minds of men from reality is not something that began yesterday. Already in the Middle Ages, the rationalists came along and said, all we need is, is to reason things through. We don't need God. 
We don't need revelation. Just their own minds. We could clearly grasp things. Well, they were not really rational at all. They were quite irrational. Um, in fact, quite perverted. Like those who today just say, follow the science. And yet they're the ones who don't even know what uh, uh, a gender is. It's, they're perverted. But then you had uh, uh, come along uh, in the 16th century, the Protestant Reformation, which unhinged men from the authority of the church. Each one an authority to himself. And then you had uh, Descartes and the Romantists who said all we need is to follow our feelings, our emotions. And anything that stops that is constraining us. And we don't need that constraint. Uh, and then uh, we saw the attack against Catholic nations. In World War I and World War II destroyed uh, any semblance left of Catholic uh, states, Catholic kingdoms. And so man is basically left to the wind today. Uh, uh, the hierarchy we saw at the, the, the Second Vatican Council began slowly and slowly to embrace these revolutionary ideas. And so they are themselves part of the problem. So we have a world that has gone insane around us. And we are, uh, we are uh, nevertheless not excused by our Lord for not uh, being able to judge rightly. The world today calls what is uh, good evil and what is evil good. And the prophet Isaiah already long ago said, Woe to you that call good evil and uh, evil good, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And this is what we have today. And our Lord reminds us, If you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, the standard for what is good and what is bad is does it conform to the law of God or does it not conform to the law of God? And Scripture is very clear for us what conforms to that and what doesn't. And the constant teaching of the church are very clear for us. But the supernatural optic is the, is the key here. And I'm going to explain a little bit on this point, the supernatural outlook. So in the, <clears throat> the true story, in the 19, uh, uh, early mid-70s to about the mid-80s, there was a very famous Protestant uh, preacher, TV evangelist, James Baker. Um, and uh, very well-known, very popular, making a lot of money, um, preaching Jesus, as these Protestants uh, claim to do. Um, but towards the end of the 70s, well, it became exposed that he was involved in quite a lot of immoral conduct and financial fraud and things. And eventually, the law and life caught up with him, and he was convicted to 45 years imprisonment. And, uh, but he was only had to serve five years of that sentence. But in about the fourth year of his imprisonment, he, he wrote a letter to another <clears throat> a young upstart Protestant minister who was becoming somewhat popular, and he asked him to, to come and visit him. And he, he came along and he, he started talking to him, and he, uh, this young uh, minister uh, he, he, um, started discussing things with him, and he mentioned that James Baker said to him, well, this imprisonment was not necessarily God's judgment upon my life, but God's blessing and mercy. Because had I continued in this way, I would have eventually gone to hell. But this young minister asked him, well, my question to you is, in all this, when you're preaching Jesus and that, when did you, uh, 
when did you fall out of love with Jesus? And the, the response was quite interesting. He said, I, I never fell out of love with Jesus. But what I lost was the fear of the Lord. He lost the fear of the Lord. In other words, for him, he always felt good about Jesus. But he lost the reverence, the fear, and the respect for God and who is God. And today, this is at the heart of the problem of the church today. The hierarchy and most of the Catholics have lost the fear of God. They forget that they are going to die. They are going to have to answer for all their lies, all their corruption, all their perversion, all their betrayal, all the sophisticated words they use to undermine the church teachings and the faith. You know, this is what Cardinal uh, Archbishop Vigano said, that in the end I realized I'm going to stand before God in my judgment, not before too long. And I had to repent of my many years of lies, of corruption, of dishonesty, of supporting a hierarchy which is only destroying the church today. And so this is why he goes on doing what he does. But today, this is a very serious problem. We have lost, as a church and church communities around, they have lost the fear of God. St. Paul reminds us in his letter to the Hebrews, Therefore, <clears throat> receiving an immovable kingdom, we have grace, whereby let us serve, pleasing God with fear and reverence. Why? He says, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God, why do you think in the church we have communion rails? Why do we have an elevated altar? To remind us, there are, there are limits. There are limits. Here beyond there is a sacred place. And only those ordained for the ministry are to officiate there. This is a hot, sacred place. When Moses went up to the mountain, God said, hold on. Uh, this is a sacred place. Take off your shoes. This is sacred ground. Here, this is a sacred place. In the modern church, they got rid of them. Everything is whatever. Reverence and respect for God. Why do we not give you communion in hand? Because it's God. We have the reverence, the fear, the respect of the living God. This is why we do the things that we do. Because there is a God, an almighty, awesome, fearful God. And our Lord says, fear not those who can destroy the body, uh, but him who can destroy the body and soul in hell. Beautiful words in the imitation of Christ on this point. It tells us that in all that you ought, remember the end and how you will stand before a strict judge from whom nothing is hid and who is uh, not bridled with gifts, bribed with gifts, nor accepts excuses, but will judge righteous judgment. O most miserable and foolish sinner, who art sometimes in fear of the countenance of an angry man, what will you answer to God, who knows all your misdeeds? Why do you not provide yourself against the day of judgment, when no man shall be able to be excused or defended by means of another, but each one shall bear his burden himself alone? Now does your labor bring forth fruit. Now is weeping acceptable. Now your groaning is heard. Now your sorrow well-pleasing to God and cleansing to your soul. Dear friends, every judgment we make in life, it says something about us. When you make a judgment to wear your clothes, 
The clothes you wear or don't wear say something about you. The person you chose to marry or didn't choose to marry says something about you. You know, one day I, I mentioned this point about during a wedding ceremony. And after the wedding ceremony at the reception, I was, it was very interesting listening to uh, the parents and even the friends of this man who was in his mid-40s, got, just gotten married. And how the man with many faults, shortcomings, was a pagan, just converted not long ago. Um, but it was always a good man. And what I said about him, I was very interested to see, hear that, because it confirmed what I said about him um, during the wedding ceremony. And that is, our judgments say something about us. He met this girl, and he'd met many girls, and he dated many girls in his life. But none of them did he decide as a pagan that this, these women are fit for me to be someone I want to spend the rest of my life with. But this girl, he could see that was something special. Something different. This girl I want to be with for life. And he realized, yes, she, she um, was a Catholic. And real Catholic. He took her faith seriously. And he could see that Catholicism is a bit strange. In all these ceremonies, rituals. But he looked into it. And he said, yeah, that's, that's the religion that I want to be part of. All of his judgments said something about him. Whether you, when you're driving on the road, whether you're shopping at the shops, it doesn't matter. Every judgment that you make in your life, they say something about you. Uh, while in our judgment, we think that I'm, I'm making a judgment about something else that's true. But that judgment also says something about you. Like a judge in a courtroom, uh, when they make a, a decision, it also says something about them. And many judges today, sadly, they judge wrongly. Because their own perverted notion of what is right and wrong. But that judgment said something about them. Police officer, a lawyer, a doctor. Their judgments, our judgments, always say something about us as a person. And let, let me explain a little bit, uh, to be more blunt, about what I'm getting at here. Yesterday, I, I um, went for a walk in the town. And you know the beautiful building, the, the Anglican church, a stunning building, breathtaking. I wish we had a church like this for ourselves. But I had the opportunity to go for a walk inside. One of the ladies let me in and I looked around and asked a few questions. And one of the questions I asked is, how much people does this building seat? Oh, about 500. I said, so you must be pretty full on a Sunday? She said, no, there's only about 40 people. Well, that's interesting. And I said, well, who's the, 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 one, the minister here? Uh, Jim said, oh, it's some woman. Okay. But and my thoughts are, well, that's good to see that hardly anyone goes there because it's not a religion worth taking seriously. Uh, and that's a good judgment that people don't go to these churches. But what I also find odd is that for a Protestant who claims to follow the Bible, the Bible is very clear. Women have no business in the ministry at all. St. Paul's very blunt. He says, women in the church are to remain silent. How more blunt can you get? And yet, they're not following the Bible. But, but what it also says, and I hate to be offend anybody, if you go to a church like that, it says something about you. If you're happy to accept some woman leading uh, us today, it says something about us. We've got some woman. When Not only the, the whole tradition of Christianity has always made it very clear the role of men is to lead, 
but also more specifically and clearly in religion. But it also says something about you. So recently there was some Presbyterian minister, again a woman in, in the US, said, stated something along the lines that abortion is a good thing, it's, a, it's an act of charity, all these things. But, you know, while we might condemn that minister for saying that, because obviously it's directly against the whole of Christian teaching for 2,000 years, uh, and even from the very beginning uh, of time, what, uh, of what God has always taught the people. But what it also says about those who attend those churches, if you are happy enough to sit down and attend those places where they teach garbage like that, it says something about you. And, and that's a very important point, because today we can complain about many things, and we often do, sadly. We complain about them, but then we support them. Uh, sorry, if you're supporting them and then you complain about them, uh, there's something wrong with you. I'm sorry, that's just a fact. If you're not happy with the places you send your children, well, pull them out. If you're not happy about, and I'm not talking about your feelings, I'm talking about objective facts, of what they're doing is corrupting your children. If the religion is, your religious minister is corrupting your faith, get out of there. If you're going there, it says something about you. It says the extent to which you have been corrupted and perverted. And yet these Protestants might say, well, Father, you've got to get with the times. Well, that's very interesting you say that. So if I decided that, um, you know, it's okay for somebody to come and kill you, steal you, uh, you're never going to say, ah, oh, I've got to get with the times. I've got to allow people to rob me and steal me. We're never going to say that. But God, who is God, we've got to say he's got to get with the times. God's got to get with the times. But me, I don't have to get with the times. When it doesn't suit me, I don't. What does that say about us? We don't really worship God. We worship as of ourselves, that's all. Because truth is absolute for us when it suits us. But for God, it's not ever absolute. We've got to, God got to get with the times. What does that say about our judgment? It says that our judgment is wicked because we have become wicked. And if we go to churches like that, <coughs> we go to <coughs> we support places like that. Um, well, we're wicked. And then we deserve the leaders that we get. You know, <coughs> the book of the Apocalypse <coughs> speaks about the perversion in the end times. <coughs> and God's response to it was very blunt. He says, get you out of her, my people. And I, I apply that to all the Protestant churches, and even a lot of the mainstream churches. If you are truly the children of God, get out of those places. And if you don't, again, it says something about you. If you're happy enough to support, to go along with, to accept perversion, it says something about us. And to a greater extent, um, particularly in Australia, where we are extremely laid back and indifferent, uh, today, uh, we have become supportive of the perverted culture around us, even if it's by our presence. That's why the Archbishop said, no, we should never go to the new Mass. And we're talking about not talking about weddings and funerals, because by your presence, you're saying it's okay. We don't think it's okay. Uh, they're not okay. It's a perversion of our liturgy. God is great. God is good. God is holy. He deserves what is good, what is sacred and holy. We don't, we don't change the worship to suit ourselves. We conform to the worship that God has determined for us throughout the ages. It's the same thing in everything. We don't decide what is right and wrong. God is the standard. 
God has made that standard clear for us in every field of life. It's for us to simply conform our hearts and our minds to the will of God. And this is the greatest challenge for, going to be for each and every one of us in our life. How am I going to conform my life, my decisions, my judgments, my reality to God's? Because to the extent that we fail in that is to the extent that we'll be punished. To the extent that we conform to that is the extent to which we will become saints. This is why the saints chose to die rather rather than to offend God. For them to offend God, to please people, was not an option. Because God judges all things. God knows all things. And this fear of God gives us the right perspective because it reminds us of who God is and who I am and what I am not. I am not a God. I am not that significant. I don't decide what is right and wrong. God does. And it makes us grateful. Makes us grateful for everything that God has done for us. He has given us. Despite the fact with less than, less than a millisecond he could obliterate us. And yet he doesn't. All of his patience, his kindness, his goodness over our lives from the beginning till now. <clears throat> this fear of God makes us grateful. Helps us to put aside our, our whinging, our complaining, our sulking about everything and say, hold on. I deserve what I get. More than uh, God is only too merciful to me uh, in my life. I deserve far worse. He's so good to me. I can't thank him enough. I just have to conform, learn to conform and let go of the things that make an obstacle between us and him. And deep down, dear friends, this is my point, we do know. Everybody, no one is deceived in life, who, as St. Augustine says, who first doesn't want to be deceived. We have chosen to be deceived if we are deceived. Whatever decision you make in your life, if you're honest with yourself, you can make the right decision. But often we make the wrong decision because we've chosen. We want to believe a lie. We want to believe the error, the perversion around us. And it's so easy because you're not going to have a voice telling you that it's wrong, except in your conscience. And today we can suppress and, uh, and kill the voice of our conscience time and time again. This is the danger of sin. This is what it does to us. And so many people uh, have become uh, uh, dead in the voice of their conscience. They try to suppress it with all these different things. And it keeps gnawing at them. But for eternity, it will gnaw at them in eternal life. Uh, in hell. We need to be able to judge rightly. To see things for what they are. Otherwise, we deceivers of ourselves. The blind lead the blind and they both fall into the pit, says our Lord. So more than ever, we need to ask our Lord to inform our hearts and our minds. And as I said, how we do that? The teachings of the church. The church does give us freedom of expression, if you want. That's the, the word that the world uses today. But the church has limits, again. You can pick up the Bible and you, the church says you are free to interpret it. But 
The bound, there are boundaries. The boundaries are the teachings of the church, the catechism, the Catholic faith. Outside of that, you interpret it contrary, you're on the road to perdition. But within that, that's why the many saints, popes, theologians, they all have different interpretations on a particular text. But they're all within line with the same mind of the church, the same mind of God. But there are boundaries. There are boundaries and the limits. And who sets that? God sets that. The church, the voice of God on earth, sets that. The constant teaching of the church for 2,000 years sets that. Not this or that pope, not this or that council, not this or that individual, not this or that synod. It doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what this or that individual thinks. If it doesn't conform to God, the teaching of the church, then it's from the devil. And we have no part with it. We must be very clear about that when we make our decisions about something. Uh, it's going to impact my life or those around me. Well, is this, what God, is this God's will? Is this conformity with the will of God for me? And it's very clear to know that, as I said. Our Lord's given us the standards. So we need to ask for the grace, for that willingness in our lives to be willing to conform our hearts, our minds, and our thoughts to the will of God so that we may judge rightly, we may live rightly. And by those righteous fruits of our life, by means of them and living that gracely life, we may come one day to that glory in that kingdom which has no end forever in heaven. And Father, Son, Holy Ghost.